Welcome to the Taste and See podcast, a place where we can discuss our experiences in the kingdom of God and discover how we can impact the world around us, thereby being the salt and light of the earth. Here's your host, Josh Emmerich. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Taste and See podcast. This is our second week, and we have a great show in store for you. If you're new here and just joining us on this journey, the Taste and See podcast was started out of a realization of the goodness of God and a desire to see his people, you and me, be active participants in bringing the kingdom of God to the world around us. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste is an experience, while to see is all about perception. When we experience the kingdom of God, it changes the way we perceive things around us. It is my hope that as we explore different aspects of our life, whether it be finances, family, marriage, work, ministry, servanthood, or leadership, that we would be able to approach them with a renewed and fresh outlook and perspective from the Holy Spirit and the goodness of God. So we welcome you with open arms, and I pray that you are ready for the journey that lies ahead. This week, we are talking about purpose. Purpose, as defined, is the reason for which something is done or created for or for which something exists. Deep down, if we are honest with ourselves, We all have a desire and a longing to know what we were created for. Or simply put, why do I exist? And by everyone, I mean everyone. If you are a follower of Christ or not, we all share this longing for purpose in our lives. Were you ever asked the question as a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? We have been conditioned to ask and answer this question of purpose since we were able to walk and talk. For years, I myself struggled with this question. When I was a child growing up, I always wanted to be a plane pilot. Then as I moved into junior high, once I received Christ, it was to be a missionary to China like the great Hudson Taylor. It was my freshman year of high school that I received a call to pastoral ministry. I packed up my bags and headed to a Christian college to pursue my calling and prepare for the long road ahead. Life was great working in a church and leading students while planning events and speaking every week. To be honest, I basically got paid to be a 20-something-year-old kid. But the reality of life eventually got in the way. After a failed marriage and experiencing some pain in my church, my desire shifted. I went to school in Chicago to study government and law in hopes of becoming a public servant or a politician. I just knew I was going to be the next Bush or Obama to bring change and influence to the world around me. However, after a year in pursuit of my political passion, I eventually resorted to retail management, then human resources management, and now social work. Do you see a pattern here? My purpose kept changing. It wasn't firm. And it certainly didn't bring me joy, peace, or ambition, at least not longer than a given year. And I'm willing to guess that some of you are in the same boat I was in. A boat that looked shiny and new and exciting, but without a motor or a paddle. 
only to have the currents of life sweep us left and right with no direction, stability, or control. You then have the choice of either hitting a massive boulder of failure or you just jump ship to get out as fast as you can and swim to another boat that is shiny, new, and exciting. But what if we didn't have to do any of that? What if we could swim to shore, look up, lean in, and rest in the presence of God? What if our journey to finding our purpose begins there? What if our purpose ends with ourselves and starts with God? Purpose, the reason for which something is done or created for or for which something exists, is mentioned 166 times across the entire span of Scripture. People desired and pondered the meaning of purpose in the Old Testament. They desired and pondered it in the New Testament too. Both pre-Jesus and post-Jesus, people wrestled with what purpose looked like for them. And we still wrestle with the same questions today. As we lean in and observe the tapestry of Scripture, God has much to say about purpose. In Jeremiah 29.11 we read, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Here we are, searching and searching for purpose when God already knows it. And it's a good and hopeful purpose. Perhaps we should start looking there. Jeremiah also declares about God in Jeremiah 32.19. Great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. So, the purpose God has for us isn't all right and it isn't good. It is great. But his purpose for our life isn't just great. It's mighty. It comes with power and it comes with energy. Perhaps we should start looking there. In Proverbs 25, Solomon shares some deep wisdom with us. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. From this passage, we can observe two things. Number one, our passion lies deep within us. And number two, only a renewed understanding can bring it out of us and before our very eyes. Perhaps we should start with a renewed understanding or perspective of purpose before we start trying to find it to begin with. What if our understanding of purpose came through our relationship with God? What if our perspective of purpose was changed by the goodness of God? What if our first step to finding purpose is dropping to our knees rather than a last resort? Today, I want to share three important principles regarding our God-given purpose that the Holy Spirit has been pouring into me. First, you have to find your purpose. What is the purpose God has created for you for such a time as this? Turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. And here we encounter Moses. Moses was a Hebrew who was given up by his mother as a baby to save him. He was found in a basket floating on the river and He was raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. And after he witnessed an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, Moses then turned his vengeance on the Egyptian and killed him. 
To flee the consequences of his actions, Moses fled Egypt and settled in Midian, where he met and married his wife, Zipporah. Now, as we look upon Moses, he's taking care of the flock of sheep belonging to his father-in-law, Jethro, at Sinai, the mountain of God. Let's start with verse 1. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses! Moses! Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me. He told me, I have been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt, and I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. 
So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. Moses' encounter with God continues in chapter 4. But Moses protested once again, What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, The Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, What is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, Reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out again, it was healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, If they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it out on the dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what you say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please, send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said. What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he is on the way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him, and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with both of you as you speak and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you, and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. At first glance, this story is incredible. This is the very moment that God heard the cries of his people and began an orchestrated rescue of his people from slavery in Egypt, and bring them to freedom and prosperity in the promised land. But when we really look at this story, we can see something else, ourselves. God told Moses, I am sending you. 
What was Moses' reply? Why would you send me? Then God told Moses, I will be with you and you will worship God on this mountain. Moses' reply? What would I even call you? What if they don't understand? God told Moses, I promise to stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all my wonders and will provide you with the necessities you need. Moses' reply, What if they don't believe or listen to me? God also told Moses, I will provide you with a staff that will turn into a snake. You will be able to make your hand leprous and not leprous by just sticking it in and out of your cloak. And I will turn water into blood to serve as a supernatural sign of my presence and my authority. Moses' reply, I am not an eloquent speaker. I stutter. I am slow of speech. Friends, how often is it that we get in the way of God's purpose for our lives? How often do we let our own doubts and insecurity get in the way of God's grand purpose and design? Who are you giving the pen of your story to? The enemy or to the original and rightful owner of your story? This is an important question because out of stories, purposes arise. Let me repeat that. Out of stories, purposes arise. Also, just as a side note, isn't it interesting that the place that God revealed Moses' purpose, Mount Sinai, is the very place that Moses would encounter the presence of God in Exodus chapter 20 when he received the Ten Commandments? It is in the presence of God that purpose is revealed. The second important principle regarding our God-given purpose is this. Stay focused on your purpose. Turn with me to 2 Kings 2. Here we encounter Elijah, a prophet of God who saved the worship of Yahweh from being corrupted by the nature worship of Baal, and his protege, Elisha. Elijah had met Elisha after God revealed to him on Mount Sinai that Elisha would be his prophetic successor. But Elijah's time on earth is about to end, and in this story we see how it all unfolds as Elisha deals with the reality that his mentor will soon no longer be with him. Let's start in verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, As surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha said, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again Elisha replied, 
as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided, and Elisha went across. When the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. What a powerful moment of God passing on his supernatural power from one generation to the next. But what is even more amazing is that Elisha almost missed out on it. In fact, Elisha had several things trying to distract him that day from his declaration to never leave Elijah and receive a double portion of his spirit. First, people were pulling him left and right. In verses 3, 5, and 7, we see multiple instances where people were approaching Elisha and saying, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from me today? And every time, I'm sure quite annoyed, Elisha responded, Of course I know, but be quiet about it. How often do we encounter people in our lives who try to point out things that are not relevant to our purpose? For example, when I was called to ministry, I can't tell you how many people told me, I heard you were called to be a pastor, but you know they don't make much money, right? How badly I wanted to respond, of course I know, but be quiet about it. What voices are distracting you from your purpose? What voices are distracting you from the mission God has given you? Second, Elisha had to stay focused, even in the midst of a chariot of fire, to ensure he fulfilled his mission. Elijah promised Elisha he would give him a double portion of his spirit if he were to not leave him and keep his eyes on him. In the moment that Elijah was taken up to heaven, a chariot of fire appeared. Many people assume that Elijah was taken up to heaven by a horse-drawn chariot of fire. However, scripture doesn't reveal that at all. Elijah was actually taken up to heaven by a whirlwind. Perhaps the chariot of fire was there to see if Elisha could stick to his mission, keeping his eyes on Elijah. What extravagant or lucrative opportunities 
have entered your life that have the potential to distract you from the purpose God has revealed to you? Is it a better job? A more affluent community? A bigger home? More pay? Just because something looks better doesn't necessarily mean that God wants us to pursue that. The chariot of fire was quite extravagant, but Elisha wasn't concerned about that. He was concerned about sticking to his mission, keeping his eyes on Elijah, and as a result, the mantle of his predecessor now rested upon him. Elijah picked up Elijah's cloak, went to the bank of the river, and cried out, Where's God? And the water immediately parted, and Elisha walked across dry land. Friends, you want to know what's in your mantle? Hit an obstacle. Cry out to God and watch him show up and show out. The third and final principle regarding our God-given purpose is this. We all share a common purpose, to know him and make him known. The ultimate mission and purpose of our lives was spoken to us in a group of disciples along a mountainside over 2,000 years ago. Jesus, about to be ascended into heaven, declares these words over us. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus commanded us to disciple, baptize, and teach others about him and his ways. He also promised to be with us through it all. Friends, our purpose is for Jesus and with Jesus. Our purpose is to know him and make him known. There is a big myth when it comes to calling. Many people assume that only certain people are called to ministry. I do believe that some of us are called to be pastors, and missionaries, evangelists, prophets, etc. But Jesus made it very clear to us in his declaration and commission that we are all called to make disciples. We are all called to point others to him. We are all called to ministry. God is calling all people to himself, and we are his co-laborers in that mission. Here we find our true purpose, our true north, in our compass of life. We see this truth throughout other scriptures as well. In 1 Peter 2.9 we read, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are called to be chosen kingdom dwellers in God's special possession. But we are also called to declare his praises and what he did for us. Our purpose is to know him and make him known. Psalm 33 verse 11 declares, But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. God's plans and purposes for us stand firm for eternity, and they are connected to his heart. 
Our purpose is to know his heart and make it known. In Ephesians 2.10, the Apostle Paul states, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's purpose for us rests in Christ Jesus to do his work, and he planned this all along. Our purpose is to know him and make him known. The Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 11. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. God is God, my friends, and there is none like him. No one can match his matchless name. He knows all things from beginning to end, including you and including me. And it is his purpose not the world's, that will stand at the end. If he said it, we believe it. If he said it, it is done. Our purpose is to know him and make him known. So I ask you again, what is your purpose? What were you created for? Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Friends, it is my prayer that you would lean into God, press into his presence, and rest in the purpose of knowing him and making him known. Everything we do in heaven and on earth starts there. He is worthy to be praised. He is our provider and our strength. He is our beacon of hope and our light in dark places. He is our friend and our savior. He is our purpose. Jesus, we love you, we know you, and we declare today our desire and purpose to make you known, known to our families, our friends, our co-workers, our communities, our churches, and our schools, known to our nation and to our world. Father, I pray that as we press into your goodness, that you would strengthen and empower your church for the purpose for which you created it. I pray that all people will be brought to yourself and that your name will be praised in all of the earth. Holy Spirit, speak to us and minister to us as we move through the ins and outs of our daily lives. I pray that this journey would be a constant reminder of who you are, your faithfulness, and the overwhelming goodness and power of your presence. May we wake up anew each and every morning with one declaration on our hearts. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Thank you for listening to the Taste and See podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and empowered by our conversation today. For future and past episodes, please follow us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Taste and See podcast. Now go, live for the kingdom, and always remember that the Lord is good.